As you know, we have been talking together for a few weeks about weird words in great hymns. And we just sang one of the great hymns. That, that song has been known uh, for many years as the National Anthem of Christendom because it tells the story in such a powerful and meaningful way. It, uh, uh, it is one of the great hymns. And did you hear some of the weird words in that hymn? Words that we don't ever use in normal conversation. One of those weird words is diadem. And we're going to look at that as our weird word from a great hymn this morning. The song is All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. In the mid-1700s, Edward Perrineau, uh, Perrineau, forgive me, came from a French family. He was ordained as a minister in the Church of England. Soon after his ordination, he left the Anglican Church and began working with John and Charles Wesley. He was in many meetings with them, but would never preach because he thought John Wesley was a much better preacher than he was. So um, Perrineau would stay in the background and let the Wesleys do their thing. Until one day in the middle of a meeting, John Wesley announced to a large crowd that Brother Perrineau would now speak. Thinking very quickly, Perrineau declared, I will now deliver the greatest sermon ever preached on earth. He then read the Sermon on the Mount and sat out. He eventually separated from the Wesleys and became the pastor of an independent church in Canterbury. While he was serving there, he wrote the words to this hymn and published it in 1779. It has such a rich theology about Christ that many have been drawn to its words and it has defined our understanding to some degree of who Christ is and how we can relate to him today. He based his hymn on Philippians chapter 2. So this morning I want to invite you to the familiar passage in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. And let's look at this text that led uh, Perronet to, to write this great hymn. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to begin at verse 5. Paul is talking to the church about the, the problems that they're having um, with conflict, disunity, and his point is you guys can heal those broken relationships if you will just learn to be humble. And we have the greatest example of humility ever when we look at Jesus. And so he summarizes, Paul summarizes the life and ministry of Jesus. Let's start at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Before time and eternity passed, God the Son, 
equal to God the Father, sharing existence and life together. God the Son knew that holding on to that glory was not God the Father's will. Holding on to his position, to his power, was not part of God's plan. And so that's, that's what Paul is referring to where, when he says that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. When I hear grasped, I think that's something I don't have yet and I'm reaching for it. That's not the case in the Greek. The idea is not that Jesus was reaching for something he didn't have. The idea is he already had it, but he knew it was not, it was not God's plan for him to hold on to it. He had to let go of his glory. And so the, the verse is, he did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to. Verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Now, as we read through the text, I want you to picture stair steps, all right? Before time, in eternity past, he is, he is existing in glory with God the Father, but... He knew that that was not the plan, that he should stay there and hold on to that. And so he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself before God the Father, willing to, to take on the role of a servant to God. Being born in the likeness of men, another step down. Not only did he humble himself before the Father, but he humbled himself even to the point that he was willing to take on the form of a human being. Here is the creator of all that exists, stepping out of glory and into creation as a part of that creation. And so he emptied himself, taking the form of the servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form, not only was he born in the likeness of man, but people got to see him in that way. Adding to his humility, the king of glory wound up being a naked boy wrapped in a cloth, laying on hay in a barn to a poor family. Being found in human form, he humbled himself another step down. He still humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And there's one more step down. Even death on a cross. So we've gone from the throne of glory, step by step, as he humbles himself, serving obeying, becoming like man, willing to die, even death on the cross. In that picture, we, we get an idea of how Christ served God's plan, how as Messiah, he stepped off the throne and walked all the way to the cross.
But look at verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. You see what happened? Because, because Jesus was obedient and he fulfilled God's plan. By the way, as I read Philippians 2, I'm always reminded of the songs that we sing so often that when Jesus was on the cross, I was on his mind. Look what Jesus did for me. Friends, I think that's bad theology. I think instead what we need to recognize is that Jesus was on the cross thinking about being obedient to the Father. Jesus did what he did to bring glory to God. Now, as he brought glory to God, we get to, we get to experience new life. But as soon as we start making Jesus about us instead of us about him, we've got it all backwards. So in Philippians 2, the picture is clear. He was obedient, he was humble, he served, he took on the form of man, took all the way to death, even death on the cross. So what was God the Father's response? He highly exalted him. Put him back in a place of glory and gave him a name that is above every name. Look at verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Folks, that's everywhere. Heaven, on earth, under the earth, every created being will bow before the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's been placed on the throne of glory at the right hand of the Father, and every single living being will recognize his lordship and will bow and kneel before him. That every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, verse 11, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The beautiful passage that helps us understand Christ's role in God's redemptive plan. And it helps us understand what is happening now? Jesus already died on the cross. He already came back to life. He already ascended to the right hand of the Father. The Bible says that he is there interceding now for us. And we look forward to one of those days, eventually on, on, on a very special day, the entire creation in heaven and on earth and under the earth, we will all bow together, recognizing who he is. We look forward to experiencing that. And it is that uh, reality that brought the hymn writer to write this old song. Let's look at it together again. If you want to follow the hymn, it's hymn number 43. And I want to use it to guide us through a deeper understanding of Philippians 2. Hymn number 43 in the book that's in the pew in front of you. We just sang it together. All hail the power of Jesus' name. 
There is power in the, a name. Have you ever been in a crowded situation where there, there are kids and teenagers and adults and everybody's all in the same room and there's a kid who's trying to get the parents' attention? Mom! Mom! Well, there's hundreds of moms. You've been there. Maybe it's at the swimming pool or the mall. Mom! Well, since there's hundreds of moms, nobody's paying attention. What does the kid do? You stop calling mom and you say, Lisa! The only time it's okay to use a first name for a mama. But now she hears her first name and she recognizes the call is for her. There's power in a name. The Bible says in Philippians 2 that God gave him the name that is above every name. That at that name, people will respond, will react. All of creation will, will react to that name. They will bow and kneel and show awe and reverence to the one who deserves it. All hail the power of Jesus' name. To hail something is to acknowledge it, to recognize it. When the president enters the room, what song do they play? Hail to the chief. That means pay attention, recognize who this person is. All hail. All is an invitation to everyone who exists. Listen up, everybody. Hail. In other words, give, give respect, give attention. Give your all to the power of Jesus' name. So powerful, even let angels Prostrate fall. You, they hear the name of Jesus. They themselves will fall on their face before him. Bring forth the royal, and here's our word, diadem. And crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem. Now, I've never heard that word anywhere except in this song. I, I, I had to look it up, and I was, I was pleased to find that it actually is a Greek word, and it comes straight out of the New Testament. Diadem is a crown, but it's not just any crown. It is, it is an ornate, usually gold, but that's not necessary. It is an ornate, beautiful crown of royalty. Here is the, here's the, the, the point of using that word in this way. In 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 22, uh, we read that, that he, uh, he has uh, gone into heaven, talking about Jesus, has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels authorities and powers having been subjected to him. That's where he is. All of the heavenly beings are subject to him. He is the king above all and they are submitting to him. And then in Revelation 4, we get a, a deeper view or a, a bigger view of that picture. 
In Revelation 4, it says, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. By your will they existed and were created. Did you notice that the heavenly beings cast their crowns before him? This word in the Greek is not diadem. This is a different word for crown. This is the word that might be used of the laurel wreath that that an athlete might win in the games. It, it, It is a crown, but it's the victor's crown. And these who have made their way to the throne of the Lamb are victorious. And they humble themselves as victors, removing Their crown saying, we could not have been victorious were it not for you. You made it all possible. You are the one who are worthy to receive glory and power and honor. So they take off their crowns of victory and honor him with those crowns. And then in Revelation 19 at verse 12, we see Jesus on a white horse. And in the description of Jesus on the white horse, his eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. Not the victor's crowns, but the crown of royalty. And notice that there are many diadems, many crowns of royalty. Why? Because he is the king of all kings. He is the one above all kings. And so when we think about our Jesus, don't leave him on the cross in your mind. He didn't stay there. I would even say to you, when you think of Jesus, don't don't just picture the empty tomb. Because even that wasn't the end of the story. When you think of Jesus, don't just picture him rising up from the earth into the clouds and going up to heaven in his ascension, that wasn't the end of the story. When you think of Jesus, recognize him for who he is, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the one who is in charge and in control, who deserves all of our praise, all of our worship, who deserves all of our reverence and our honor, the one who sits on the throne requiring, demanding, deserving our worship and our praise, our very lives. I think sometimes our Jesus is too small. Sometimes we need to be reintroduced to the Jesus of Scripture. Because I think he's a lot more majestic than our Jesus in our minds. The song helps us do that and it drives us to the scriptures that show us again the King of Kings. In verse 2, ye chosen seed of Israel's race. Well, remember Israel was the chosen nation. In the New Testament, 
especially throughout the book of Hebrews, but in the New Testament, we learn that the church is God's chosen people. Therefore, we are much like Israel in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Israel was God's chosen people. After Christ died and came back to life, the church is God's chosen people. And so that's what the, the hymnist means when he says, ye chosen seed of Israel's race. Believers, Christians, you are the chosen of God. You were ransomed, ye ransomed from the fall. To ransom is, a, we could spend a whole week talking about that, that word, but, but the short version is uh, to be ransomed is to be bought out of bondage and set free. Ye ransomed from the fall. The fall is this mixed up, messed up world that we live in that got mixed up and, and, and messed up because of human sin. Sin that every one of us has participated in. We live in a messed up world because we messed it up. But he has ransomed us, bought us out of that bondage and set us free. Ye ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace. And there's the word we looked at last time. Save. Remember what we talked about the word save? In this context, it, it means to be delivered from a place of danger, and to have a new start in security. He saved you by His grace. He chose you. He took you out of slavery to sin, gave you a new start in a place of security and life. Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransomed from the fall, He's calling to us. Y'all should hail Him. He says, who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. In Acts chapter 4 at verse 12, it reminds us there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The power of Jesus' name. There is salvation in his name. There is, he is the one who ransomed us. Therefore, we crown him. Now, that crown that we put, figuratively speaking, through our worship, that, that as we crown him, that is far from the crown that he wore on Calvary. That was a crown of thorns. This will be a crown of glory. That was forced on him. This will be presented to him. That was a crown of mockery. This will be a crown of royalty. That was a man-made crown that would soon decay. This will be a God-ordained crown that will last forever. Ye chosen seed, ye ransomed, hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. In verse 3, the hymn says, let every kindred, that means every family, every tribe on this terrestrial ball, the earth, let every group of people on the earth 
To him, all majesty ascribe. He deserves it. Let everyone on the earth, regardless of race, creed, family, background, let all of us come together in worshiping him. His name is so powerful. It unites a divided world because we all come to the throne and fall before him. Reverend E.P. Scott was a missionary living in India during the 1800s. At the prompting of the Holy Spirit, Scott set out alone to visit a remote village. A lot of his friends told him that the, the tribe that he was going to was savage, that he should not make that journey alone. But he was convinced that God had told him to go. Several days into the journey, Scott was met by a large group of warriors who quickly surrounded him, and each of them was pointing a spear toward his heart. Expecting to die, Scott made a decision. He decided to use his last few breaths to glorify God. He took out what he had been carrying with him, which was a violin. And he started to play and sing, all hail the power of Jesus' name. He sang it in the native language of the warriors. And when he reached the words, let every kindred, every tribe, he opened his eyes and there stood the warriors, some in tears, with every spear lowered. Throughout the rest of his life, Scott spent a lot of time with that tribe, sharing with them the love of God, and many of them came to know Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Power to unite, because we all, every kindred, every tribe, are called to worship at his feet. The picture presented for us in Revelation chapter 7. John looks and he says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all the tribes, all peoples, all languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. He sees all of the nations and all of the people calling out of Christ's worthiness. In verse 4 of the hymn, and we're done. Oh, that with yonder sacred throng, as he thinks about all the people there, worshiping God, worshiping Christ, giving him the, the, the praise that he is due. He says, oh, that with that sacred throng, a throng is a big group of people. He says, with that group, we at his feet may fall. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Someday we'll be there. And we'll be able to join the heavenly beings at the throne. And my understanding 
of prophecy and my understanding of Scripture says that there will be a day when every single knee will bow, every single tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I don't know about you, but for me, I want to learn to do that by my choice, voluntarily, humbly, as a response to his love. I want to kneel and bow. One of these days, there will be many who refused to do so, but on that day, they will be forced. They'll have no option. They'll be so overwhelmed by his majesty. And he, as Lord of all, will indeed make sure every created being bows before him. Today is a day for us to look forward to that time, to say, I want to do it as an act of worship. I want to begin now learning what that feels like. I want to spend the rest of my life singing of his majesty forever. In Daniel chapter 7, at verse 14, we're reminded that his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And it will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. We look forward to being a part of that experience together. With his dying breath, Peronet declared, Glory to God in the height of his divinity. Glory to God in the depth of his humanity. Glory to God in in." his all-sufficiency into his hands, I commend my spirit, and he breathed his last. That's the way I want to go.